Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 27. I'm your host, Scott Davenport. Today's topic is shaking up your post-processing workflow. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. It is July of 2020 already, and I have to admit, it's been a tough year for creativity, a tough year in general. And in no way do creative challenges compare to the hardships others have had to face this year. But here in this podcast, we talk about photography, we talk about creativity, and that's what we will focus on today. And in particular, the post-production side of photography. First, though, let's take a quick snapshot of 2020 and a short sidebar about John Lennon in the early 1970s. I promise you there is a connection here. At least a connection made in my mind. So 2020, it's half gone, half ahead. And the prognosis for the second half of the year is uncertain. Getting outside continues to have its challenges, notably in the U.S., where I live, I've been ducking out here and there for early morning, pre-dawn photo shoots where I can. Yet, I feel like I'm drifting around a bit, a little aimless at times, trying to find footing, trying to keep my photography going to stay creative. 2020 is shaping up to feel like a quote-unquote lost year. And the way 2020 is going in this phrase, lost year, made me think of John Lennon's so-called lost weekend. And yes, another Beatles-esque tie-in here. I made it a whole two episodes before bringing up a Beatles reference again. Hey, if you've listened long enough, hopefully you're going to be staying and listening longer. That's how my mind works. So this, this lost weekend was actually a stretch of about 18 months in John's life. It's after the dissolution of the Beatles, before the birth of his son, Sean, with Yoko Ono. John was estranged from Yoko for this time, and he kind of drifted around a bit, kind of like I'm drifting around in 2020 with my photography. He left New York for Los Angeles. He had a variety of musical collaborations going on, lots of, um, let's say, extracurricular activities going on, although... John was quite creative during these 18 months. He charted his first number one U.S. hit as a solo act, Whatever Gets You Through the Night. It was a collaboration with Elton John. He completed three full albums, including Mind Games, which is one of my favorite albums of his. John even had a jam session with Paul McCartney, although it didn't produce anything musically noteworthy. So I got to thinking, 2020 is a lost year. John Lennon's Lost Weekend. What can I learn from what John went through in the Lost Weekend? Is there a lesson? Is there an idea that I can adapt and apply to my photography? Okay, so John is bouncing around. He's working with other musicians. He's visiting studios. He's collaborating. A fair amount of partying, too. Well, I can't quite do any of that, given social distancing norms in 2020, and I'm not really much of a party-goer. Although there's a lot that happens with music in post-production. Mixing tracks, fine-tuning the sound, working with all those cool sliders on those big massive consoles. That's a parallel to photography. Like in music, post-production of our photos has a very important role in the process of creating images. Something I can do right now is shake up my processing workflow. 
fiddle with the sliders. Try a filter I don't use as often. Explore corners of the tools I don't normally visit. The purpose is discovery and experimentation. Like the musicians tinkering with different sounds in the studio, photographers can tinker with light, shadow, color in our digital darkroom. I think Ansel Adams said it best. The negative is comparable to the composer's score and the print to its performance. That still rings true, although today the performance is often the post-processing of a digital negative. I decided to put this notion of tinkering with my post-production into action. To understand what I did, what made sense for me, let me first explain my typical workflow. My workflow starts in Lightroom. Lightroom is my photo organizer, my asset manager, it's where I do my ratings, my keywords, my geotagging, all of that stuff happens there. And Lightroom happens to be a capable photo editor too, so initial processing of my raw photos happens in Lightroom. I usually get my photo 80 to 90% of the way in Lightroom, sometimes all the way, sometimes it's done there, but for work I can't do in Lightroom like a complex retouching job or layering work, or when I want specialized filters that do world-class contrast or buttery smooth glow looks, I farm those types of jobs out to Lightroom plugins. And I use three on one Photo Raw, Luminar, and Photoshop. I round trip from Lightroom through these plugins back to Lightroom. Tried and true workflow, and it may be familiar to you as well. Now of the tools that I own, I tend to use Lightroom and On One Photo Raw the most. I've used those the longest and can shape and craft my landscape photos how I like them easily, quickly. The double-edged sword, the flip side of my proficient workflow, is my Lightroom to On One round trips are instinctive and not necessarily exercising my creative brain. It's not that the tools can't do more than I ask of them, they can. Yet, when I'm in this familiar environment, I gravitate toward my habits. My tried and true settings that I know will make a pleasing image, and I have a tendency to experiment and explore less. So what did I do differently? All these tools I mentioned, Lightroom, On One, Luminar, Photoshop, each one is a capable photo editor in and of itself. To shake things up for me, I decided to process a set of photos without using Lightroom and without using On One Photo Raw. I took a set of about 10 images and processed them entirely in Luminar, start to finish with the RAW file. Because I used Luminar less often, I didn't instinctively jump to sliders and controls like I do in Lightroom. I had to actively think more. Sometimes I had to hunt a little bit for the editing tool or the control or the slider that I wanted. And sometimes the tool worked just differently enough I needed to backtrack and repeat steps. What ended up happening? I got more creative. I'd turn a corner and say, ooh, what does this tool do? How does it change the photo? I ended up with looks I don't normally produce and looks that I like, and I gotta admit it was fun. A discovery I made, or at least reinforced with certainty, is I really like Luminar for what I'll classify as travel photos. Those shots that are in between a snapshot and my more planned, 
purposely executed landscape photos. Luminar worked really well for those for me. Those types of shots where you've given consideration to the subjects, consideration to the composition, but it may not be your pristine, well-executed, very articulately planned landscape outing or portrait shoot or whatever type of shooting style you're into. I had a lot of fun exploring the tool and I do feel a creative surge as a result. Now I have three tips for you or three ideas for you to shake up your post-processing workflow. Number one, if you use multiple tools, you own multiple editing tools, start your workflow in a different tool. This is what I did. You know, simply starting in a different place will force you down a different path. Your tried and true approach won't be available, at least not in the same order, the same format you're used to. Or the tool may offer a different approach to editing. Luminar is a case in point. My editing in Luminar nearly always starts with the AI tools. AI Enhance, AI Accent, AI Structure. I get those to get a baseline for the image, and then I'll tweak it with the more traditional exposure, shadows, highlights, and so on in their light tool. So just by using a different tool made me approach the photo very differently. Now, if you don't own separate tools, that's okay. Got a couple more ideas for you. Number two, try filters that you don't normally use. If you're like me, 80 to 90% of the time, just a handful of filters or sliders get you the processed photo you want. Take a look at what else the tool has to offer. In Lightroom, for example, I'm starting to tinker around with the process calibration area. This is way down at the bottom of the tool stack, and it's got some interesting options for tweaking color. It's something I've really not paid attention to for the longest time. In On1 Photo Raw, try a grunge or bleach bypass. You know, those, there's you know, 30 or so filters in there, and there's a bunch of them you may never turn to. It doesn't have to be a new and novel approach with respect to the photo industry, but it should be new to you. Just look around the tool, play around with filters and sliders you don't normally use. Number three, you still have your favorite filters. Take your go-to sliders in a different direction. Your familiar haunts in your processing tool can probably do more than what you typically use it for. Push the sliders in a different direction than usual. Throwing out some random ideas here. HSL, hue, saturation, luminance. What about selectively desaturating certain colors or brightening or darkening certain colors? I'm not talking about uh, doing selective coloring per se. It's almost like more like a little bit of color grading, some basic color grading. Just fiddling around with the sliders and pushing them in different directions than you normally would. Uh, sharpness or clarity. Take those things negative. Get a softer, dreamier look. You don't necessarily have to go outbound to another tool to get a glow look. You can play with negative sharpness, negative clarity. And then consider taking that type of stuff and applying it selectively to a subject. Maybe you want to desaturate everything except the subject that you want attention paid to. You give part of the photo, an older feel, uh, you know, a, a faded 
you know, old vintage kind of feel, but just by toning down certain colors. Just, just an example of an idea, but those familiar sliders, the tools that you use every day, what else can they do that you don't normally use them for? Play around. So to recap those three, number one, start your workflow in a different tool. If you don't have a different tool, number two, try filters or effects you don't normally use. And number three, take those familiar sliders and push them in a different direction. Now you may fumble around a bit, and it's okay if the resulting photos aren't ones you want to share. The point of all this is to make some discoveries. Now some discoveries you'll make about yourself. You may find habits you have with your post-processing. Some may be good. Others may reveal opportunities to change and grow. You'll make some discoveries about the tools, almost guaranteed. You'll likely find your processing tools have far more capabilities than you knew, and you're not taking advantage of all of them. Both sets of discoveries will feed your creativity. Thank you, as always, to our Patreon members. It is your support that makes this podcast possible. It also supports the other free lessons and tutorials I deliver on photography through YouTube and through my website. I cannot thank you enough. And if you're interested in learning more about the Patreon community, check the show notes. There's also a support the show button on all pages of stopdownpodcast.com where you can learn more. And that brings this episode of Stop Down Podcast to a close. I hope that you are excited to go try something different with your post-processing. Shake things up. If you are in an area where you can't get outside or at least not move around as freely as you'd like, this is another way to keep that creative brain engaged. Keep yourself thinking about photography, working it into your daily or your weekly life. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please tell a friend. And if you have time, please rate it on Apple Podcasts. The ratings really help keep the show on the radar so other folks can find it and join us in listening each week. Until next time, my name is Scott Davenport. Have fun. Thank you.